So this evening I want to uh, explore the territory of samadhi and to um, look at how we can cultivate samadhi or concentration in our practice. Whether we're doing concentration all or most of the time, as a few of you are, not too many, but some, or whether we, in our insight practice, want to develop more concentration, more samadhi. We've seen and we've emphasized a few times how there are really two core practices that we get from the tradition, one cultivating samadhi or concentration, the other one insight. And so here we'll focus especially on samadhi and come back towards the end to look at the relationship of cultivating samadhi and our insight practice or our mindfulness practice. Developing greater samadhi or concentration has personally been a really crucial practice uh, over a lot of years and permits more uh, stability of mind, particularly to go into uh, deeper insight and deeper um, ways of knowing. It gives a possibility of being for sustained periods really away from the habitual mind the habitual, ordinary, conceptual mind, which can yield a lot of fruits. I'll invite you as we're exploring this to see if you can be present as you're listening to the talk and in the body, maybe with the breath some, at least to some extent. I can remember doing many uh, concentration retreats which were in which I was mostly focused on the breath. And in the talks, I would stay with the breath. And so see if you can stay, as it were, be practicing a kind of uh, stability, whether it's you know in the body or breath, at least some of the attention as we explore the topic. So I want to look at... Uh, five different areas related to the cultivation of samadhi. First, the the nature of uh, samadhi or concentration. Secondly, the really the some of the reasons why it's important and uh, I think central to our practice. Uh, Third, some ways of practicing to cultivate samadhi including again, for those who are primarily doing insight practice here. Uh, Fourth, uh, some of the challenges of uh, developing samadhi and how we work with them. There'll be a lot of practical tips, partly cultivated over a lot of years and heard from other people. And then lastly, coming back to that relationship of uh, developing samadhi with our insight practice.
the terms in the uh, Pali language, there are really two terms that are, that are key. One is uh, samadhi, which is more or less the state of being concentrated. And the other word is shamatha, which some of you have heard, S-A-M-A-T-H-A, which is the practice of developing samadhi. So we have a different name for the practice than for the state, although people sometimes use the terms a little more loosely. And so you'll see that, you know, when we uh, use the terms in English and just talk about concentration practice, we'll talk about people will use concentration as a translation actually of both terms. And so we have retreats here at Spirit Rock, which we call concentration retreats. And we also speak of samadhi as concentration. So um, the, the term samadhi is made up of a few roots, which is helpful to look at. The, the word sam, S-A-M, is uh, really related etymologically to English words like summary. You know, um, Sanskrit and its derivatives like Pali are Indo-European languages, and so there's some common roots, it's interesting. And so the word sam is somewhat like the word summary. It means, uh, so we hear it means together. S-A-M means together. And the, the adi means something like directing to put or place. And so we could say that uh, the uh, root meaning is to place together. And so some people like to uh, translate the term as sort of bringing together mind and heart and body or the unification of mind is sometimes used as a translation or composure or steadying the mind, uh, gathering together. Uh, Richard Shankman, who taught last month, has a nice uh, way of talking about samadhi as unifying the mind in steady, undistracted awareness unifying the mind in steady, undistracted awareness. And so many of us uh, believe that concentration, while accurate in a certain way, is not a great translation because in English, when we talk about concentrated, it's almost like you, you grit your teeth, you focus, you over effort, and you try to get at it, right? And so I won't be using the word concentration much. Or if I do, I'm slipping. <laughs> you know, so I'll try to use the original words samadhi and shamatha, I think partly for that reason. So uh, samadhi, this state of uh, being unified or gathering, is really understood as a natural quality and it's something we can see when we look to our experience. I, I remember once uh, looking and watching a heron uh, not far from here, just in total samadhi, <laughs> you know. You know, it wasn't the influence of spirit rock. It was, it was like it was just totally focused, looking at something, which is probably, it thought, lunch or something, you know. But it was just totally like, <clears throat> like that. And... And you can see that, you can see it in the 
other species, you can see that in ourselves, that we all have ways, maybe in our work or in something we do, where we're just totally focused in. You know, totally focused. It's a natural quality where we can just stay with what we're focusing on for a period of time. I know for myself, I I mentioned one experience that I had, I think in the the first talk I gave the first evening. Do you remember the first evening? (laughs) It was like, you know, was it about two or three weeks ago? So there I talked about an experience where I was like pulling an all-nighter as a college student. It was one of the few times I did it. And I just, for whatever reason, was in this state of hour after hour, totally there, totally focused. And, it, and then, uh, you know, I finished, the morning came, and I was in this altered state where I went out into the, the dawn and it was like, whoa, something really uh, precious and not so known to me, right? Very interesting. And that, you know, that kind of immersion, I'm sure we've all had versions of that. People have that in all sorts of work. You know, it's very common. And maybe if people are artists or doing some kind of creative activity, it can be that deep immersion or even in something like sports, right? Where they have the phrase playing in the zone where people are like in the zone means, you know, you're there. And uh, it's often there's even a sense of uh, going beyond ordinary time. People have a sense they can see the future. <laughs> you know, in basketball, where's the ball going to be thrown? You know. So I think those kind of experiences are common. I remember another experience when I was a kid, like of um, I grew up on the East Coast and um, not so far from the ocean or in... Uh, Maryland. And, you know, just sometimes just lying on the hot sand, I would go into this reverie that would be deeply concentrated. And, you know, it was, you know, like, what is that? You know, something is very interesting. And I think we've all had, you know, maybe even my saying this, you can have some uh, memory of some of the, some experiences you've had. So the Buddha did see uh, concentration is natural. And this is very similar to what Oren was bringing out last night in talking about the indriya or the spiritual faculties. These are all innate qualities that we can cultivate, right? So concentration is a natural quality or, oops, I said it, samadhi. <laughs> samadhi is a, natural, is a natural quality. This is from the Buddha. There comes a time when one's mind becomes inwardly steadied composed, unified, and concentrated. That concentration is then calm and refined. It has attained to full tranquility and achieved mental unification. It is not maintained by strenuous suppression of the defilements. In other words, we don't have to work so hard. It actually just flows, that stability. And I imagine we've all tasted that for shorter or longer periods of time. So from the text of Asudimaga, which was uh, about, about 1,500 years ago, which was a compilation of a lot of uh, 
practices of, of the time in, in Buddhist settings. And this is the way it, that uh, samadhi is understood there. Samadhi is the profitable unification of mind. It is the centering of consciousness, mind, and heart, evenly and appropriate on a single object, undistracted and unscattered. So in shamatha practice, is really, really simple. We just focus on one anchor object and we keep coming back. We stay with it and then we come back. It's very simple. There's a certain beauty to the simplicity. And I know from having practiced that a lot, it can be just really, what? Uh, mm, almost like grounding, peaceful, uh, powerful to have one's life be so simple. All I do is I come back to one object. Right? There's, a, there's a line from the uh, philosopher Kierkegaard where he says, purity of heart is to will one thing. You know, and I was, I was also thinking of my, um, uh, my mom, uh, Bernice, who some of you knew, so a few of you knew and some of my colleagues knew Bernice. Um, she liked meditation, but she would always say, when I would say, let's meditate, and she said, only concentration practice. <laughs> it was interesting. <Yeah. laughs> only concentration. And uh, later, I, uh, you know, we, we talked about it, and she was, uh, she was kind of a, she was a activist. Her, kind of her core loves were justice, beauty, and family. And um, she talked, she was a musician. And she talked about how when she played music, you just focus on one thing. And she said, if there's much self there, not so good. <laughs> You know, you just, she said, you let yourself be taken over by the music, which is a beautiful metaphor for our practice, right? Let yourself be taken over really by the music of life, the music of one's own being, right? Which is sometimes has beautiful notes and chords and sometimes, what, jangling. <laughs> but it's really, it's in a sense, the music of life. In the teachings of the Buddha, samadhi, cultivation of samadhi, appears in four of the core lists. We've mentioned some of them. Oren mentioned the indriya, or the five spiritual faculties. He also mentioned the five powers, and we've mentioned the seven factors of awakening. Uh, samadhi's in all of those, all of those, and it also has a place in the uh, Noble Eightfold Path as you know, right samadhi or mature samadhi, realize samadhi. And interestingly, one, you know, one of the key points of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path is that all of the factors have to be interconnected. So one doesn't do shamatha practice just alone. It's always connected with ethics, with integrity, with uh, wise understanding, with mindfulness. It's all part of an interconnected path, 
right? It doesn't, uh, we pr- can practice it uh, as it were by itself, but it's always connected. A lot of different ways we can develop uh, samadhi. Uh, the Buddha uh, developed samadhi as his first practice when he went off from his palace and went to study. He had two teachers who more or less taught him the yogic practices of the time, which were practices of developing samadhi. He said that um, samadhi by way, uh, by way of uh, mindfulness of breathing when developed and cultivated is of great fruit and benefit. Before my enlightenment, when I was still a bodhisattva, and not yet fully enlightened, I generally dwelt in the dwelling of samadhi. In that text, the Vasudhimaga, there are 40 different uh, ways to develop samadhi. The breath is just one of 40 in in that text. One can develop samadhi and dedicated samadhi practice or shamatha practice through the Brahma Vihara, through metta, compassion, joy, equanimity. One can do it by being aware of death as a way to cultivate samadhi. There also, you can have eyes open and be looking at uh, colored discs. I I once uh, studied a Tibetan uh, concentration system where you focus uh, with eyes open just on one of the Tibetan letters. It's interesting, right? So there are all sorts of ways. One can develop samadhi by chanting or visualization and so forth, uh, by sound, by listening to sounds. A lot of different ways. Uh, again, uh, a common way is through being aware of the breath. As the samadhi deepens, we move from a knower, knowing the object, the anchor object, you know, let's say the breath, and we move towards fully entering in to the object. And so there's a sequence of learning where one starts with awareness of the breath and the knower and the known are separate. And as the samadhi deepens, the um, distinction between the knower and known tends to get less until in some deeper states, there's a kind of uh, unification, term often used in translation as absorption in the anchor object. And one, in a sense, the sense of self falls away and one's just fully absorbed in the object. Much, you know, not all that different from what we might experience in, a, in the creative process where the, you know, the artist would not say, I am doing this writing, but rather it's happening, right? I'm connected. And so I don't, I don't think it's all that different, but that's what we explore in meditation. So one of the uh, states that we can describe that, that comes from the Vasudhimaga is a state of deepened samadhi called access concentration, and which I think a lot of, most of us probably have experienced for some time where one's really steady with the breath, just really fully with the breath, 
there's a sense of very little effort that is being expanded. And uh, we, we use terms like being in the groove or riding the rails where you're just with the breath or with another object and it's kind of flowing and you're doesn't take much effort and there's almost no thought, one's just with that. That is a goal, for example, that when we do concentration retreats here at Spirit Rock, that is a very, uh, what, um, uh, accessible, so to speak, accessible goal to move towards that level of uh, stability of mind. You know, that's sort of what we hold as a possible outcome of that uh, practice of concentration, and it's uh, it can really be the basis for really deepened uh, deepened insight. And there also are these states of absorption, which are called the jhanas, and I won't say much about those <clears throat> tonight. Uh, there's actually a lot of different systems, and there's not a, even a consensus about what they are or what they mean. It's interesting, uh, but they're you know they're different. Um, understandings and approaches to that. One of the interesting um, discoveries about developing samadhi that we find uh, coming from actually from uh, scientific research is that um, um, samadhi can be learned and you don't have to go back to square one every sitting. Like when you stay with the cultivation of samadhi over time, your baseline uh, improves. It's really encouraging. <laughs> right? you, know, you have to keep practicing, but you don't have to do a huge amount. But isn't that interesting that the research shows that it's actually the brain seems to learn how to do samadhi. And when you keep on doing it, your baseline will get better and better over time. <clears throat> so samadhi is really important in a few different, for a few different reasons. Uh, for a lot of us, it can be a missing piece in our practice. It may be something which we haven't really uh, developed so much. And it can be really powerful to be able to experience, you know, as again, you know, most or all of us have, being, uh, what, uh, steadied in our minds so that the usual ordinary mind and the usual stories and conceptualizations aren't there in the same way, at least for uh, a short time, at least temporarily. And so, with deeper samadhi, we can really notice the patterns and habits uh, much more readily. We, we cut through that habitual mind. So this is really where it starts to connect with freedom, with liberation. When the mind is more quiet, we can see, oh, look at that. You know, and, and talking with um, people the last few days, a lot of you are working at this very wonderful level where you're noticing like the ordinary constructions of mind because the mind's more quiet and it can be freeing. We see these patterns and ah, can get to a place where something that's not so easily known in daily life, we can say, oh, look at that. 
Look at that. Look at how I, uh, what, um, have an unpleasant moment and start creating a story out of it, like, like Shard has been exploring. I have unpleasant uh, feeling tone. A thought develops. And I may have what we sometimes call a Vipassana vendetta against a, another wonderful retreatant, simply from one or two or three unpleasant moments that one links to their bad habits, right? And we get to see that, we get to see that, whereas at home it's sometimes just right, bam, bam, right? And you were off in reactivity, but here the samadhi lets us see through that in certain ways. Samadhi can suppress the hindrances. We don't fully uproot them, but temporarily we can, uh, they can be gone because the mind is steadied enough. We'll come back to this, but, but samadhi is really necessary for these deeper insights deeper insights into impermanence, into dukkha or reactivity or suffering, into the nature of the self, into anatta. The Buddha said, practitioners develop concentration. One who has developed concentration sees things as they are. And later he'll go on, we'll come back to this. What, how do we see things as they are? His answer is we see impermanence. We see dukkha or reactivity or suffering and its roots. We see anatta. You know, it's almost like, you know, as we deepen in concentration, we have a sense almost of how we're constructing a world, almost like constructing a bubble. It's a little bit like the analogy of like a film, uh, a film with 24 frames a second. And the 24 frames a second make us think that there's really something happening, <laughs> right? We were, we're taken into the illusion as it were. And if we would start seeing it in slow motion and see the individual frames, we'd realize it's all a construction. And samadhi permits that. The Buddha, without the peace of concentration, without attaining to calm, without one-pointedness, that one should enter and abide in the emancipation of the mind and heart, the emancipation through insight, that cannot be. In other words, samadhi is essential. So how do we practice it? And what are the challenges of the practice that come up? Okay. So the rest of the talk is mostly practical. We give a little bit of a framework and, and I'll, I'll now try to uh, help, help to point to ways to practice.
we've been exploring a lot. Uh, so I think several people have given the instructions that when we're just initially aware of the breath or another anchor object, we have these two initial ways of practicing. We have uh, vitaka and vichara. We have the aiming, the pointing, connecting with the object, the breath. And then we have the sustaining the attention, staying with the breath. And we've been exploring how to do that. This is really the initial deepening into, into samadhi. We learn how to stay with the object. We notice when we're off it. We use different tools that can help. Maybe we count the breath. We may, some of us may use the three-part breath that I outlined earlier. Uh, the in-breath, the out-breath, the pause or touch point where we bring our attention to maybe the hands or the body. And so when we're practicing shamatha practice, when we're developing samadhi, the instructions basically are, this is, this is really when we're doing um, <clears throat> more dedicated practice. And I should say that, um, yeah, I should say that they're really, I'm gonna talk about two ways of practicing. One is when we're doing dedicated uh, shamatha practice, which is when some of you are, when we're with the primary object and we're more or less with it all the time. You know, sometimes it's helpful to work up to that, <clears throat> but we're staying with the anchor object, uh, you know, in the sittings and the walkings and the dining hall and our rooms and so forth. That would be dedicated practice. That's what we do in our concentration retreats. And again, we sometimes work up to it, sometimes have a day of mindfulness to get there. Um, uh, but it uh, can be a very powerful practice. And in that kind of practice, when we're doing dedicated practice, the guideline is when something comes up, like we have a thought, but it just comes up for a short amount of time, just maybe for a few seconds or 30 seconds or something, we don't so much go to mindfulness, we just immediately come back to the object. And so we, we are not so concerned about what are, we actually, what, what are we actually experiencing, we just immediately keep coming back. And so, but the, the larger guideline is that if something stays and has duration and lasts for a while, you know, or something has a certain intensity, then we might actually switch to mindfulness. So an example might be, I'm doing dedicated samadhi practice and I had a major loss maybe two months ago and I haven't really processed it and grief comes up and it's strong. We wouldn't try to suppress that with shamatha practice. We would, if it comes up strongly, last for a while, we would switch maybe to mindfulness, compassion and so forth. We would treat it like that, but for things coming up briefly, we wouldn't sort of make notes, we would just immediately come back to the object. That would be the guidance. Now, if we're practicing, some, you know, most of us are not doing that. If we're practicing, we wanna develop a little more 
uh, samadhi here in this retreat, and our main practice is insight practice, as it is for most of us, how to practice. And here I had some fun the last few days talking to several of my colleagues, and we kind of talked, okay, how can we, uh, how can we develop uh, more samadhi if our primary practice here is insight? So I'm gonna share some possible ways to practice that really come from several of my colleagues as well as me. Okay, so this is our collective wisdom. It's one of my favorite things as a teacher is to kind of have those kind of discussions to uh, share just different approaches and, and bring it together. So here are a few. Maybe, maybe I should just back up for, for one, one point related to the dedicated practice. When we're doing that, I think it's quite important that you know, for most of us, the primary place where we really stay with the object is often, is typically in the sittings. And that in walking or in the dining hall, we try to keep the thread with the object going, but it might be that we're 30 or 40% with the object and, you know, and 50% with the meal, right? Meaning in terms, because you don't, we're not trying to have the same level of <clears throat> a focus that we would in a sitting in the meals or in the walking. Uh, but we try to, we try to uh, keep the thread going if we, were do, if we were doing that practice. For here, uh, if we want to deepen samadhi, a few possibilities for us. Um, one might be that we, and, and listen for what might resonate with you. Because I mean, it's a range of uh, possible ways to practice here at the retreat. One would be that maybe for a day or for two days or for three days or a week, we do half of every sitting with uh, shamatha practice. You do 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. And you, you just try to develop more samadhi just in those uh, parts of the sitting. And that would, that would, have, that would uh, involve cultivation of samadhi would be helpful. Another way would be to do more dedicated uh, shamatha practice for, again, a day, three days, a week. In the old days at um, Insight Meditation Society, for the three-month retreat, there was always one week of concentration practice and they would totally rearrange the meditation hall, kind of Zen style. Everyone would be sitting, facing the wall. <laughs> I don't think that's made it to the West Coast. Is that still done at IMS? No. <laughs> right, but it was, it was done, it was, it was exciting. It was kind of midway through the retreat. Okay, develop samadhi. Okay, so one could do that. Um, another way would be to just say practice for a morning. One morning, you know, every morning for three days, stay with samadhi, you know, in the sitting, walking, sitting could be very helpful. You know, the main thing is we're bringing some attention to it. 
Another way would be to like take uh, one part of a morning and do for, for a sitting, walking, sitting sequence, have it be all cultivating samadhi. Again, do that once, do that a few times. One way that some people develop uh, samadhi that can sometimes help is to, to do longer sittings. And so you can do this in different ways. It doesn't mean sitting for a long time and making an ordeal of it with the body. In fact, one of the, what I think of as one of the perks of shamatha practice is if you have really, if you have uncomfortable sensations in your body that take your attention, let's say, away from the breath, you don't stay there, you shift. No sitting, paying attention to uncomfortable sensations. Okay, anyone want to sign up? <laughs> right? It's interesting. I, I think of it as like a perk of, you know, you don't have to hang out with unpleasant sensations because you want to just stay with the object. So sometimes when I have done practice, I might uh, sit for an hour, stand up for five or 10 minutes, keep the practice going, maybe move to a chair, keep the practice going. You can, you can do it that way. And it can, you know, and again, the intention is not to do it in a way that's straining or too much effort, but we can really uh, cultivate practice that way. Another way to cultivate samadhi is to really have a sense of being present fully, moment by moment. You can make an intention, I'm really gonna stay really fully with uh, whatever's happening. Not staying necessarily in one object, but just I'm gonna really stay with my meal. I'm gonna really stay with brushing my teeth and have that fullness of presence. That would develop samadhi. Continuity will also develop samadhi. There are ways of uh, developing walking meditation that will develop samadhi. Really, again, fully being with the walking. You know, you can use labels for the different steps. That can sometimes help. Lifting, moving, placing, shifting. Really have the walking meditation can be deep shamatha practice. Some ways that I work with this sometimes is I like to, especially when I'm walking out in the forest here, I like to walk and with each step I say grounding, ground, 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 like that. That can really help with the full, it's really we're talking about the fullness of awareness, fullness of attention. Or in walking I like to, many people do, like at the end you stop, you collect yourself before you start walking again. Really, really feel that fully. There's a model which can be helpful with the deepening of uh, samadhi, which is called the model of the five jhanic factors. The five factors which tend to deepen samadhi towards that absorption. Some of you know that model. We've mentioned the first two. First is that pointing at, connecting with the object. The second is learning to stay with the, with the object, stay with the breath. Um, in fact, the, the word in Tibetan, the word for samadhi is, is really the word for staying with. It's interesting. That's the, that's the word. 
So when in the uh, teachings on uh, developing samadhi in some Tibetan systems, they talk about the stages of staying with. That's really, that's the second, second factor. Mm. But the third factor is called piti, translated sometimes as pleasure or uh, rapture. And it's uh, as we, as we deepen, deepen in samadhi, there can be a whole range of experiences in which there can be some kind of uh, bliss in the body, some kind of uh, tingling, some kind, some opening, we might say opening up of the subtle energy body in certain ways. And that, that happens with, with samadhi. Sometimes pleasant, sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes quite unpleasant. <laughs> can be, right? Can be, can be like, can feel like you've had um, 16 cups of coffee. A little bit like that, right? So, uh, and the Buddha actually talked about the importance of uh, samadhi being connected with pleasure and the importance of pleasure. It's really, in a sense, the pleasure of our own consciousness, our own being, which can sometimes loosen attachments to external pleasures. The fourth is uh, sukha, or happiness or contentment, which also develops as uh, samadhi develops. And it's, it's um, a little more gentle and lighter than uh, PT. It's not, t- not typically uncomfortable or not, not, not often uncomfortable. It's lighter, more just like a resting with a, a beautiful contentment. Right, which we can have. And that kind of contentment and happiness in some of the texts, there's a text on transcendental dependent origination, very short text, which is sort of like the counterpart. I think it was mentioned, I think, uh, Char- did, I think Sharda mentioned it, or Sharda, we're blurring together, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was mentioned. And it was that sense of... Uh, when we are with suffering and take it as a, something to look at and learn from, the whole path changes from when we're just in an unconscious round of repetition. And so in that model, there also are 12 links that are more the links leading to liberation. And I'm, I'm just mentioning this because one of the links is interesting, happiness and contentment in that model leads to samadhi. There's a relationship between that contentment, kind of a gladdening of the mind, and the ability to be more quiet, to be more steady. And then the last is one-pointedness, is just staying with the object. Distractions tend to fall away. once when I did a, a period of uh, actually metta practice with uh, cultivating samadhi and working with these factors, I remember uh, Sharda was one of my teachers. <laughs> and uh, I came up with uh, metaphors. I don't know if I mentioned these to you ever. <laughs> I came up with metaphors for each of these five, which you know, I, I likened the whole thing 
to uh, developing a fire. So I said, Vitaka keeps striking and igniting and starting, getting the fire going, sort of the fire of samadhi. It takes more energy, have to do it. Second, Vichara keeps the fire going, is a little more subdued, but it's constant and continuous. PT spreads the fire to the rest of my body. <laughs> okay. Sukha adds scented pine and sparklers. <laughs> scented pine and sparklers to the fire, increasing the fire in a gentle way, <laughs> making it brighter and brighter. Ekagata, that's the one-pointedness, brings back the fire to the center in the heart and unifies the fire, warming everything. That was my sort of fruition of my five weeks of metta as samadhi practice or shamatha practice. So there are challenges, right? There are challenges to developing samadhi. Anyone experienced any? So it looks like about a quarter. Um, so I'll mention a few, and I, I think I'm going <clears> to <throat> um, try to be brief here, and maybe focus on what's most important. Some of these uh, we've already looked at. So the first challenge is having an overactive mind. We've known that, we've looked at that in terms of hindrances. Second would be sleepiness and low energy. Third would be that sometimes in development of samadhi, we go through a kind of purification practice where we, you know, difficult emotions come up, material comes up from more unconscious material, sometimes our wounds or where we need healing uh, uh, are present. Uh, the fourth is getting attached to concentrated states. I, as I say that, some of you may say, let me have that issue. <laughs> and the fifth, which I want to put a little more time in, is striving and over-efforting. You know, or is like, just how do you have balanced effort with uh, developing samadhi? So the first, with uh, overactive minds, again, we've looked at this a lot in what we've dealt with. Um, you know, we've suggested a lot of methods. We can use labels for what our most central repetitive thoughts are. This helps. We can sometimes, uh, with repetitive thoughts, go to the body and the heart, try to see sometimes what's generating the thoughts, touch base with the emotions, with the body. Um, we could work with intention, like uh, Oren was suggesting. You know, we could say, what's important for me? You know, what's important for me? What do I want to be spending my time on? Do I want to be working out that work issue at home 200 times here at the retreat? <laughs> you know, what's important? You know, what's, um, what do I want? Or you might say, now's the time to go deeply. So that can help. Similarly, we can sometimes be firm with the repetitive thoughts 
you know, sometimes metaphor is that of training a puppy and we say, not now. <laughs> that can help sometimes. I know sometimes in my own shamatha practice, uh, at a certain time when I was, would be, you know, kind of deep, but getting into repetitive thoughts or something, I would sometimes summon, like, almost like, uh, for me, I summon the image of a tiger. And I would just go, if you do it, do it, do it silently. <laughs> but I think I was sometimes in my room, so I could do it with sound effects, you know. But it would basically just be to summon some energy that's just, I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to stay with the object. Sometimes I would use a Tibetan phrase, which, was, you know, which is used sometimes to energize practice, where you just say, hey! And I would just, again, silently. <laughs> but there are, these, there are these ways that you can kind of you know, try that with repetitive thoughts, or your version of it, right? You know, it can sometimes, sometimes that's, you know, as long as you're not doing it with a strong, what, judgmental voice, right? That's, that's an important point. <clears throat> you can work with counting the breath. Uh, body practice is really crucial for many people for having more calm. Uh, movement practice is really helpful. I, I do a lot of qigong, which can really work to calm the body. Sometimes people I work with, if they have overactive minds, meditation is less effective than body practices for some people. It's interesting. I think we've explored enough the sense, the second challenge I mentioned is sleepiness, low energy. We've looked at that in, you know, in looking at the hindrances. You know, it, a lot of it is just uh, knowing um, when we're sleepy, what's because of a need for sleep, what's more like sometimes there are imbalances. The key imbalance we look at often is an imbalance between concentration and energy. Sometimes we can have more concentration or samadhi, not as much energy. That results in what we call sinking mind, in which there's kind of a dreamlike state. We're kind of floating around. When people first experience, they think, I've arrived. I'm so peaceful. <laughs> Right, but it's actually in that situation we would maybe do more vigorous walks, uh, sort of bring up the energy. So you want to ask, how's my balance of concentration and energy? I think I'm just going to say a very little. It could be a, a lot. I have a lot of notes here, but I'm conscious of the time. And um, sometimes uh, in our development of samadhi, particularly if we're doing it a lot you know, like dedicated practice, or if you're doing metta for a week, uh, it can sometimes rouse things a little bit more than mindfulness practice. You know, I, I co-teach the metta retreat every year, as does Heather in January. And generally, I find that uh, people's dreams and, and emotions are more volatile than with mindfulness retreats, partly because of the samadhi aspect. It seems to be more, and things can, things can come up. Right, and it, you know, in in the text it talks about uh, development of samadhi as purification. It purifies our beings in certain ways, and I think I'll maybe we can bring in a little bit later some ways of working with that because it's a whole kind of uh, vast area. Attachment to concentrated states—they're very easy to get attached to, right? 
and uh, just to have the calm or the peace and and learning about that is really crucial, you know, and it's almost, it's almost predictable that it happens. And a little bit of attachment's fine, but we want to be conscious of that. You know, we can sometimes uh, get so interested in samadhi, generally in our practice and lives, that we, uh, we, we, we go through what we sometimes call spiritual bypassing, where we, where we just want to be in that deep, state of samadhi and we don't give room for you know, some of that purification process to occur or for other states to be there. One definition of spiritual bypassing, the use of spiritual practices or beliefs to avoid dealing with painful feelings, unresolved wounds and developmental needs. So it could be again a whole topic The other point related to that is concentration or samadhi is always a means to an end in the teachings. It's always for the purposes of insight and freedom. But we can get a little bit caught just in, oh, let me just hang out with, with samadhi. The hardest thing probably for most of us is having balanced, skillful effort in samadhi. I know it's something that's been really hard for me and has taken, taken time to learn and uh, especially with the attractiveness of these of states, you know, there can be a lot of striving, a lot of attachment, a lot of wanting certain things to happen, a lot of self-judgment if things don't happen the way I want them to happen. And it's almost as if uh, I can say that, but if you do some concentration practice, some samadhi practice, it's almost like you have to go through it yourself. You know, that's because people were certainly telling me, don't get attached, have balanced effort. And I just did what I did, (laughs) right? It's interesting, right? It's old habits, right? You know, you know, some of us are achievers. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I was, maybe still am, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I wanted to achieve in meditation. So in my early days in meditation, since there wasn't any real test of how you were doing, that was obvious. I thought the only test was how long I sat and how late I stayed at night. So this is what we call competitive meditation. <laughs> right? And you know, I haven't been checking out what happens at midnight here, but anyway, I, I was into it. You know, and it, you know, it's the sort of thing where you're sitting at midnight and you say, I am not going to leave before that other person leaves. <laughs> maybe it's, again, as Oren was saying, maybe this is somewhat distinctive of young men, but I think but, um, not exclusively. Right? And so how do you have a, like a balanced effort with uh, developing samadhi? Interestingly, the essence of really deepening is ease and relaxation. It's interesting. And we, so we won't really want to know if we're tight. You can sometimes feel it if your head feels a little pressure or if your body feels tight, it's a good sign of overstriving and just being with the breath. You know, my colleague Philip Moffat has a wonderful model. I invite you to try this now. 
uh, put your two hands together with one hand above the other, okay? Imagine <clears throat> that the top hand, the bottom hand is the breath, and the top hand is the awareness, okay? So when we first start practicing, it's kind of like this. You, the top hand, throw, let me be aware of the breath. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> not quite there. You can try that. Just what's it like when you miss the breath, okay? You're, you're, you're sort of thinking, you're floating around. <laughs> These are, these are images of our practice, right? Floating around, okay? Another one would be you sort of touch it and bounce off, right? Okay, not quite there, right? And then another one might be, this is the over-efforting. Your hand goes, <laughs> you squeeze really, really hard, right? And it hurts, but at least you're on it. <laughs> Right, so these, these, this, is, this describes our experience, right? More or less. So you might think of that hand image. I think it's, it's kind of brilliant from, from Philip. And okay, so what, do, what are we looking for? What would ease be like? You bring the hand softly in a relaxed way and just sort of stay with the other hand, right? Just staying with gently but firmly. You're with it. No grabbing. Just really staying with it. This can be an image which can, can help, I think. We can keep starting over with our practice. The development of samadhi is mysterious. Sometimes we are totally not focused. We stay with it 10 more minutes and we're right there. I think we probably noticed that. So staying with it, some one practice that I do, I think it's good for all practices, is to just say, this is, let me approach this session, this sitting maybe, as a mystery. I don't know what's gonna happen but I'm gonna simply be there. So that can help with some relaxation. <clears throat> we can ask much like that metaphor of the lute that, that Oren talked about. We can also ask, am I too tight or too loose in developing samadhi? Really good to ask oneself that. And if you find yourself generally, I'm too tight, you can invite with the intention, the beginning of a session, let me have more relaxation and ease. And if there is a lack of enough effort, you can say, may I be more fully with the breath or with the object. <clears throat> Maybe I'll bring in a few other things uh, tomorrow morning in the instructions. So let me just finish by um, pointing to the deeper purpose of developing samadhi, again, as in that quotation from the Buddha, practitioners develop concentration. One who is concentrated sees things as they are. And then there's a pointing to, particularly to, again, impermanence, dukkha, suffering, reactivity, uh, and anatta, the nature of the self, we might say, not self.
and both are crucial. This is from the Buddha. One who has gained mental calm, that's the samadhi, in oneself, but not the higher wisdom of insight into things, should make an effort to establish the one and then attain the other. One who has gained the higher wisdom of insight, but not samadhi, should make an effort to establish the one and attain the other. Now here is, this may be for most of us, one who has gained neither. should put forth intense desire, effort, exertion, impulse, unobstruction, mindfulness, and attention for the attainment of these states. So he's using the kind of the heroic effort language. So again, if you tend in that way, modify that a little bit. Okay. So from Achan Shah, meditation is like a single stick of wood. Vipassana is one end of the stick and shamatha the other. If we pick it up, does only one end come up or do both? Insight has to develop out of peace and tranquility. The entire process happens naturally on its own accord. And yet the development of samadhi again means to an end. The spiritual life does not have gain, honor, and renown for its benefit, or the attainment of moral discipline for its benefit, or the attainment of concentration for its benefit, or knowledge and vision. It is this unshakable liberation of mind and heart that is the goal of the spiritual life, its heartwood and its end. So all of what we're doing is training towards greater freedom. Let's sit for a few moments and you can bring to mind if there was something helpful that you might like to bring into your practice or help guide you. Again, thank you for your uh, kind attention. And uh, we'll have walking and then coming back for the final scheduled sitting with our chanting. Okay, thank you again.